and welcome to the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson, how was your holiday? Um, Obama Yang, Obama Yang. Uh, <coughs> my holiday was uh, <laughs> was lovely and relaxing, um, but I've come back to some you know wonderful news. Um, Yes, so just over an hour ago, uh, at the time of recording, uh, Arsenal announced the contract extension of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Did they? I had no idea. I just felt like doing that. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Much like I did after the cup final, where I broke everyone's ears. (laughs) But, uh, obviously, Arsenal made that announcement in a really, really creative way again. And it's ended months of speculation. And even though we've known this was going to happen for a long time, it's finally happened. So, uh, Andre, I'm guessing you took the news rather well. I did. I was delighted. Um, And actually, I think the way they did it made it so special. I've been so impressed, especially in this era where it's getting, you know, it's getting harder and harder to make things surprising or, uh, you know, make it sort of... Uh, feel special because it's there's so much build up about these things now. But when you saw that, I mean, I don't know, I don't. Know, did you see all of it? Did you see the whole video? I know you were working, and so was I. But I was able to have the Instagram live going. Uh, I've since watched the uh, watched the video, um, but at the time I didn't get to see it live. I, it actually broke for me. The the official announcement broke for me when I was driving home, and I foolishly had Talk Sport on the radio. Uh, listening to Adrian Durham and Darren Goff talk about the the news, and I got home and just was swearing out loud because I was just infuriated about listening to them. Because obviously Adrian Durham is a wind up mo- merchant and a complete ass, and he just spent my entire drive home talking about how ridiculous the deal it was and how Arsenal fans are idiots and basically how he's great. And it just put me in a real foul mood on the way home. Well, so I quickly got out of my car, went into the house, watched all the videos that Arsenal had posted and instantly felt better about life. Yes, yes. I mean, the hourglass, the captain's armband, the mask, the walk to the stadium, out the tunnel. Uh, it was brilliant. But the moment that got me was Ian Wright, because he's just we've talked about him before, but he's just become one of us. Um, and uh, Kelly and I were both working from home, and she looked at me and went, you're so excited by this. I was like, I know, it's just so exciting. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like, it just, I don't know, things like that, they just take you back to being a little kid, um, and I thought the way they did it was excellent, and a great way to announce uh, a deal that can still be debated. You know, I don't want to go all Adrian Durham on you. Uh, you know, I'm thrilled. I'm so happy. He had to stay a minimum of two seasons. Um, you know, and I know I've been a big advocate of older players could work. You know, uh, there's some scepticism about the deal, but I don't care today. It was wonderful, a wonderful announcement. And we've got our captain uh, who's already off the mark. He is. And uh, I think that leads us very nicely on to talking about the weekend, where obviously Arsenal started the Premier League campaign with a 3-0 win away at Fulham. And Aubameyang was obviously among the scorers uh, with Alexander Lacazette and our new signing, Gabriel. Um, so where would you like to start with that one, Andre? Uh, Tom, the commentary quiz. Do you want to go? Do you want me to talk about that or do you want to do the commentary quiz? <laughs> I'm so excited about Aubameyang and Arsenal playing some quite nice football that I completely forgot about the usual structure. So, going to our commentary quiz, which is obviously something we do every single week, and I completely forgot. And, right, so Andre, do you want to go first this week? (laughs) Sure, uh, I certainly do. Okay, ready? I'm ready. I think I don't know the score anymore. All I know is you're leading by one. Um, okay. And you have a flawless record. Okay. Magic ball from Bergkamp. That is uh, Patrick Vieira scoring the goal that clinched the unbeaten season uh, home to Leicester. Correct. With the, you know, captain themed from me. Captain fantastic. I, um, I, I, I really I really like that because um, it, it, it's subtle enough that it makes it somewhat difficult because for a second, my, my initial thoughts was... Oh, to- uh, Vieira at White Hart Lane against Tottenham. And then I had to obviously rein that thought in. But 
what a fantastic moment. It just summarised uh, how good that team was. It summarised our captain in Patrick Vieira and also the brilliance of Dennis Bergkamp with another inch-perfect pass, which I know we spoke about last uh, last week when we uh, when we uh, spoke about his pass at, at Stamford Bridge for Patrick Vieira. And time and time again, Dennis Bergkamp just surprised you with how brilliant he was. And it got to a point where it shouldn't have been a surprise at how perfect everything he did was but he continued to do it and it continued to, to surprise me up until the day he uh, retired so really really wonderful memory and uh, I, I remember watching that it was on Prem Plus if I remember correctly <laughs> yes yes I, I, well I would have watched it in uh, a bar in Spain um, up there with the Adams one I think Adams with the the, the, the story behind his goal and I love this. Uh, it's Alan Parry, uh, you know, who also did Gladiators. Great show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what a programme. Presented by uh, Ulrika Johnson and John Fashion, eh? <laughs> a lot of football themes there. Three, two, one. Uh, there you go. That was, um, you will go on my first whistle. Gladiator, you will go on my second whistle. <laughs> Um, who was the long-haired bloke? Uh, uh, Wolf. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hated Wolf. <laughs> um, right. Now, that is a tangent. Um, yes, Alan Parry uh, versus Martin Tyler. So Martin Tyler will claim the victory there for Tony Adams. But uh, magic ball from Burkamp to Patrick Vieira. The captain fittingly gets the goal that might make history. Beautiful. Beautiful, and uh, you summarised it absolutely stupendously in only a way that Alan Parry could have. Yes, he he did that. Not not my words. <laughs> the words of commentator, gladiator commentator Alan Parry. <laughs> Wonderful moment. Um, yeah, because that was obviously a game that was really worrying because Paul Dickoff put Leicester one 0 up just before half time, and mm. it really looked like it was going to be. Uh, heartache on the last day and that really would have uh, dampened the spirits of the title celebrations had we had we blown that but fortunately we made a comeback in the second half and uh, the rest is, as they say is history Magic ball from Bergkamp to Patrick Vieira The captain fittingly gets the goal that might make history Okay, leading into mine. Now, I've gone with a similar theme to you that I've I've picked a piece of the commentary that is prior to the goal, but quite a long way prior to the goal. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay. I think no, I think you'll be alright. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Mistake by Sylvestra. <laughs> 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 I thought you were laughing because you nailed on knew what I was talking about. No, no. Um, I might need another line. Have you got another line for me? Uh, hang on. Part of me, it's not, it's not the Henri goal. No. <sighs> Go on. Mistake, mistake by Sylvestra. Will Tord, who's got plenty of pace. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's the mistake by Sylvester. Um, <laughs> uh, It's uh, is it the free? Is it the not the commentary that ends? Will tour. It is indeed the commentary yes. that ends. Will tour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how high did he jump? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut. I, right. It took me a long time to realise that Will Tord was Will Tord on his knees or was Will he Tord just standing up? Was on his knees and Carnu jumped over him, but the camera angle focuses in on Will Tord, so you think he's jumped over a five foot ten man <laughs> with no problem. Um, yeah, but he's, he's also potentially jumped over a five foot ten man with his arm in the air. So it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal athleticism, which is something we probably wouldn't associate with Carnu normally. <laughs> it is, it is. I mean, the fact it starts with a mistake from Mikael Sylvester should have told us all we needed to know. I mean, you only have to listen to our squad building, sorry, squad number Emirates era podcast to know how we feel about uh, Mr. Sylvester. Um what a moment. I watched that in a, again, bar in Spain. 
it was raining and I remember what 11 years old I was so emotional it was just so so special something appeared on my timeline recently uh, actually today actually while I was doing my research for which commentary to use and it was that game and it was a two-minute highlight and they were again much like the last day of the unbeaten run they're such a nasty team they were such a filthy there was no comparison of quality and class with the two teams they were just absolute disgrace and the fact we won that day at their ground, yeah, they might have got more league titles, but that moment was so unbelievably special. And the fact you and I get to have lived through Old Trafford 02 and White Hart Lane 04, it, it buys you a lot of time, uh, you know, a lot of goodwill, because those two, they, are, they haven't been matched in our lifetime since by any other club. Um, it was just beautiful. It really was. And uh, there is actually on YouTube the full uh, match of of us clinching the title at Old Trafford. And I, w- I will post it onto our Facebook page. But I'd urge all of you to just watch the entire game because for a 1-0 win, Arsenal are just in so much control throughout the whole game. And I've watched it more times than I care to admit. And every time I watch it, you just look at it and think, Ar- Arsenal could have been playing that game up until today. And they still wouldn't have conceded a goal because we were defensively so good that Man United didn't have any answer to anything we were asking them. So um, one of one of my favourite ever moments in my office, I've got a load of Arsenal sort of paraphernalia hung up on the wall. And I've got a uh, a, a picture which is an overtop sort of mocked up image of, of that goal. And it just says pushed out by Bar- Bartes, Will Tour uh, in big letters. And it's... Uh, one of my favourite things in my office. So really, really lovely moment. And as you say, we're so fortunate that we have got to live through that. Carla, mistake by Sylvester. Walter has got plenty of pace. Jungberg. It's Freddie Jungberg again. Pushed out by Bartes. Wilter! Oh! Arsenal have scored yet again in the Premiership. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Good. Good start to, uh, again, we've themed ourselves again, winning goals. Well, sort of title clinching goals. Not quite right for Vieira. Just special goals in the season. Next week, I'm going to use uh, Omri scoring Old Trafford when we lost 6-1 instead to really throw you. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, we, no one wants to talk about that. Right, so now that we have finally got the commentary quiz out of the way, we can now look at the victory at Fulham on the weekend. Now, I'm really, really disappointed because I did what I felt was a flawless transition into the Fulham game (laughs) from our intro. And now that just looks like I'm really unprofessional. So disappointing. But Andre, where would you like to start? I'd like to start with Burnt Leno. The reason I'd like to start with Burnt Leno and not something like the team and analysing the team that was out. With Mikel Arteta, he could play 11 of our reserve team and, and or our under-18s, and I trust that he was doing it for the right reason and doing it, you know, knows what he's doing for this game. So I'm kind of over-analyzing, uh, not over-analyzing, as in I sort of, I'm over the whole process of guessing the team because whatever he's putting out is right at the minute. So I'm happy to ride the crest of that wave. But there was a lot of debate about Martinez or Leno, and I think we've all forgotten how good Burnt Leno is. That save um, from the miscommunication or the poor pass from Maitland-Niles, however, whoever's fault it is, it doesn't matter. Leno takes responsibility. And if he doesn't time that, he's off. And we're 1-0 down and it's eight minutes into a new season. And With Matt Macy in goal. Yes, and with Matt Macy in goal for the next three games, one of which is Anfield away. So... <laughs> You know, I just think that moment is so forgotten about. It took me ages until I thought the game had finished and I was rereading through Twitter. And I went, oh, my God, that save was so important. Uh, and the, the win doesn't happen in that way. You don't feel how you feel about a clean sheet and the 3-0 without that moment. So just really remembering uh, how good uh, Leno is as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, when you text me earlier to sort of come up with a a rough, rough sort of itinerary for this episode. You did, you said that uh, maybe a moment that wasn't one of the goals um, we could discuss about each, and instantly that was one that I went to um, because that was the moment that changed. If we went one 0 down in that game, then all of a sudden Fulham are probably going to defend deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's a totally different game to the one that actually transpired. So 
enormous moment and I think this kind of goes back nicely to one of the first um, podcasts we did it might might actually have been the first where we spoke about players that we'd be happy to to let go and we both I think I said that I'd be happy for Bert Leno to go you said you'd be happy for Emmy Martinez to go um, maybe being happy is, is, the, is the wrong term but for the for sort of the, the business approach we, we felt that that would be all right and I think this has gone to show that we've got two, got really two, two fantastic goalkeepers, and we did forget how good Bert Leno is in the space of a couple months. And just seeing how calm he was in possession with the ball, that save that he made, okay, he didn't really have to do much else beyond that. But you do forget how good he is. So that was that was one of the moments that I highlighted. And when you asked me that question, the, the other moment that instantly came to me was uh, Rob Holding juggling with the ball, Thierry Henry-esque. Wow. And what made it even funnier is I played football on Sunday morning uh, after that game, obviously. And I did... I don't want to say it was similar because that, that might be doing uh, Rob Holding a disservice, but I did do a bit of ball juggling from uh, from centre-half and instantly at half-time, someone said to me, oh, Tom, what was that all about? A bit like Gabrielle yesterday. And I was just like, more like Rob Holding. And instantly I laughed to myself and no one else did. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, niche, too niche. People don't, you know, didn't necessarily take it all in uh, in the way we... we we do um yeah that was a great moment my moment of the match uh was uh instantly Sabios um nutmegging i believe uh, angisa oh um, just majestic it, it was it was almost telegraphed but it was just so good it's yeah. like the perfect nutmeg <laughs> yeah it was it was i don't know sometimes players do nutmegs that are just perfect and for me there was no question. Ceballos just knew it was going to go through his legs uh, and he followed it up with a nice back heel. And if that gets squared and finished, it would have been an outrageous goal. Uh, but no, I just... I, <laughs> I always feel moments like that is when you've really stamped your authority. And the fact Ceballos came on and played with such confidence gives me great hope that he is going to pick up where he left off. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, I, I just, I just enjoyed seeing him back on a uh, on on a picture in an Arsenal shirt again because there was obviously a time when we we didn't know whether that was going to happen as much as we were all willing that to happen. We didn't know whether it would actually come to fruition. So really, really great moment. Um, but I think that leads quite nicely onto discussing Mohamed El Nene uh, from that game as well because. I thought him and Granite Xhaka in the centre of the park were, were were fantastic. They completely ran the game, dictated possession, broke up any Fulham attacks. And that's kind of all you can ask from your centre mid, central midfield pairing. And I think in certainly the Community Shield and the game on Saturday, I think Mohamed Elneny has forged himself a second opportunity within his Arsenal career because we were all fairly, fairly content with letting him go. Whereas now he's bumped himself... Uh, ahead of, well, certainly ahead of Lucas Torreira, which we'll we'll talk about later, and Matteo Guendouzi. Uh, I'm, I'm still would expect Danny Ceballos to be ahead of him in the pecking order, but uh, he's, he's given Arteta a genuine option there, and he looks like a player who is completely different under under the stewardship of of Mikel Arteta. Do you would you? Would you let him go if an offer came in at this point, or do you think he's going to get enough minutes in the Europa and is valuable? Sort of how how do you assess where El Nenny is in the pecking order? And if I just position this, let's say Gwenduzi is staying and we're not getting, or we are getting another midfielder. Sort of where's he come in? I think that's when it becomes difficult because. Uh, if you've got Matteo Guendouzi not going anywhere, then a younger player who arguably does a very similar job and probably, well, certainly has a higher ceiling uh, for, for potential and ability, if he has genuinely turned a corner, then that 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 poses a real problem for Mikel Arteta. And it, it depends entirely on what sort of player we are bringing in. If we are bringing in a midfield player who can create from within the midfield, then I, t- I still think there's a, pr- a place within the squad for Mohamed El Nene because ultimately El Nene isn't a player that's going to create. He's a very, I suppose he's quite a safe footballer. He keeps the ball well. He keeps the the, the, the game sort of ticking along. So 
it depends on the type of player that we're going after. Uh, but right now at this present moment in time, I'd be inclined to keep him at least until January to see sort of how, how the land lies. Yeah, I mean, for me, so much depends on whether we go and change formation. Because if we move to three midfielders, even for some games, we still need a stock there. And we really don't have that. And that's regardless. You know, if we get a top quality midfielder in, great. But we're still going to need more depth than we have. And he can come in and do a job. I, I still think if you can get an 8 million, 8 to 10 million for, for El Nenny, you take it, despite that. I mean, I can't be persuaded too much. Because one of the things I thought, and we have discussed, especially when we did sort of the away games we'd like to go to, um, how much we both quite like Fulham. Um, and, you know, I think they've probably gone with an approach of saying, well, we're not going to spend too much like we did last time, because with the economic climate, with everything going on with this season, let's just take our chances. And I really felt they were a championship side. Um, they'll do incredibly well to stay up. Um, I mean, I know, of course, it's great for us and comparatively results we've had in the past, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, but... I do worry for Fulham and a performance against them doesn't convince me about El Nenny, but you know, it was, he played very well. He did play very well, which was, which was pleasing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think after the game, both you and I tweeted about um, Fulham, in our opinion, going straight back down after this season. And I've not seen anything from them to suggest. Otherwise I think there's going to have to be a big shift in what they're doing for that to change. But I suppose it goes back to the old adage that you can only play what's put in front of you. And we played very well. And obviously, Mohamed El Nene was a, a big part of that. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens when we play West Ham on on, on Saturday. Because being, being at home, where we're a lot more comfortable, a lot more familiar, will Arteta go for the more more sort of attack-minded Danny Ceballos in the middle with, with Granit Xhaka? Um, I'd probably be inclined to do that if I was him. But... At the same time, it's quite difficult to change a winning side. So it, it, I think that could be a telling telling moment moving forward for Elneny about the, the sort of number of games he might get this season. But like, like you've said, if we do change the, change formation, then there's probably a place in the squad for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally, the West Ham game, I'd play whatever team I was intending to play at Anfield and get them gelling. And I'd probably be having Ceballos in there and I'd probably wouldn't make another change um I mean I think it would be I'd love to talk about what yeah you know what you thought of um William because I was I know what I said about the lineup so but I was surprised he started because I would have thought he'd go with the front three that performed so well in the cup final and and Willian off the bench um I, I thought he gave a really interesting performance you know I know there's a lot made of the two assists and the corner was fantastic um, but it was a corner. And uh, for me, if you play a crossfield pass and a striker runs in on goal, beats a man, bends it in the top corner, that's a very generous assist, um, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think I agree. But uh, going back to the sort of the starting lineup, I, I, I thought it would be, I, I actually had a hunch it might be Bakaya Saka who started on the right, uh, like he did at Wembley for the Community Shield. But. I, I was surprised that Willian started, uh, but I think you got from Willian the player that we thought we were going to get. Um, mm. He's someone who keeps the ball well. He works hard. Uh, he, he creates opportunities. I, okay, I, I agree entirely with you about the, about the two assists, but the fact of the matter is that he was in those situations to to create that. And it's nice having someone who can take a decent corner. And it was really great to see us score from the corner. I remember t texting you on the back of that goal and you instantly replied with set-piece specialist because we've just got a coaching member of staff who is a set-piece specialist. And I think maybe that is something to consider because it's a very simple setup for that corner, but we know that Gabriel is good in the air. We know that he's tall and we set up a corner to try and utilise that. So that, that I thought was very interesting. But going back to your initial question about William, I thought he... I think he will do what we expect him to do. There'll be games where he does play and he performs like that. And I think there'll be other games that maybe Arteta doesn't think he's quite suited for. But 
a very positive start for him. I, th- I actually thought he was pretty, he was probably probably our, just about our best player on the day, um, alongside Gabriel. But posit- positive to have two players come in and, and produce the performances that both Willian and Gabriel did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a shout out for Gabriel. Great debut. I I really liked, uh, and I don't know whether it was by instruction or his style. He followed. I think it was uh, Camera up top. He followed him around wherever he went in such an aggressive manner that you get with a young guy who trusts his pace to get back in. And I just haven't seen that style of defending for quite a while, um, which works really well in a three. You know, I'm not saying whether he could do a two or not. It felt like it was actually a back four most of the time, more than most games, to be honest. I really felt like it was Gabriel and Holding as a back two. Um, but, you know, we've got this sort of hybrid system, um, which works really, really excellently. But, you know, I was absolutely thrilled at the final whistle because what do you want in the opening day of the season? You absolutely want a clean sheet. Ideally, you want your debutants to play really well, sort of two ticks there. You want your striker to get off the mark, Lacazette. Poacher's goal, very rare you see Lacazette score a poacher's goal like that. Bodes very well. Uh, and then what tops it off? Uh, your captain who's about to sign a contract, bending one in. And he has never looked more like Thierry Henry. You know, actually, one of the things I said during the game is he's actually got better under Arteta. And he was already fantastic. But to watch Arteta improve and evolve a player as far along in their career and as, you know, as world class as Aubameyang is, I mean, it just, it's, it's hard to calm yourself down because... We do need to calm down. It was 1-0. It was, uh, sorry, it was one win. It was Fulham. Um, But it's really hard not to get carried away on the back of one game. Um, You know, if we can't pick up three points against West Ham, it'll be a real slap in the face and like straight back down to earth. Um, But, you know, they, they, I was a bit, I I was a bit frustrated to learn they've got a a game, I think tonight in the the Carabao where they'll pick up some confidence, I suspect. Um, But yeah, I've got to hope that we, can produce a similar similarly scintillating display I, I thought um the way we went forward it was noticeable how much better that was in comparison to many 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 games last season I think the telling factor for me as well is that previously I cannot remember the last time we dominated a game from the first minute to the last minute and that that was really telling. And you, you can say, oh, it's only Fulham as, as as much as you like, but we weren't doing that for the last few seasons against even the poorest of opposition. So it's it's a real sort of shift in the right direction for for Arsenal. And I just don't think you can speak highly enough for the job that Mikel Arteta is doing. Obviously, last week he was uh, officially promoted to first team manager as as opposed to first team coach, and. That kind of linked quite nicely to what I said a couple of weeks ago, where I, I, I said that he's basically as close to a manager as you're going to get without actually calling him your manager. And we also spoke about Arsenal potentially backtracking a little bit from that decision to go with a head coach kind of structure as opposed to a manager. And obviously, that's now been proven to be quite quite an astute assessment by by us a few weeks ago. So... It's it's probably just reward for what he is doing, but also a real big development in in sort of the direction Arsenal are taking. Yeah, yeah, I think the the trust feels back. You know, it's and what what I mean by that is I'm trusting my manager, I'm trusting the board, I'm trusting Edu, um, I'm trusting Vinay. Uh, I thought that interview they did pre-season I don't think we discussed it but sort of where they announced that um really promising and and they are trying to be more open and you factor in the way we announced that deal there's a lot to be excited about as a fan and there really hasn't been you know so I'm feeling full of hope and promise and I'm expectant which is all the recipe and the ingredients needed for complete disappointment uh, so uh, <laughs> I'm ready, but sadly I care so much. Again, there was a phase last season where I really I I, I didn't lose interest as such. You know, I still went everywhere as we as we do, but I really didn't care. I was broken with it all, and I have to say during this game I cared a lot. 
Um, and I care. I'm already thinking about West Ham. I'm already thinking about all oh, Leeds got at Liverpool. Maybe we could do something at Anfield. I'm already getting way ahead of myself, but I love it. It's what being a fan's all about. It really is. And uh, I suppose just to sort of summarise and support what you've just said, uh, I was on my on the phone to my mum just before this, which I'm going I'm to give her a shout out because she's arguably one of our biggest fans. I think she is and our biggest fan. She is our biggest fan. And every single time we put out an episode, my mum will comment. Uh, she'll definitely message me to say how much she enjoyed it and how and tell us about, about sort of things that she's learned from the podcast. So definitely a shout out to my mum. And she's been a woman who has tolerated uh, my passion uh, with my da- alongside my dad for Arsenal Football Club to the point that she now cares. Um, not as not as much, but she she is affected by Arsenal as well. But when I told her that Aubameyang had signed a new contract, she said, "Well, everything's just going brilliantly for Arsenal. They seem to have really turned a corner." And I was like, "Mum." We we have we've had lots of uh, false dawns over the years, um, so I'm loath to get ahead of myself. But obviously, deep down, I'm getting miles ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to rein it in. Uh, we need to rein it in. I have to say, if we beat West Ham, uh, don't lose at Anfield, beat Sheffield United, and sign a midfielder, I might explode. Um, and I think there's a lot of fans that feel like that. Uh, to be honest. So, yeah, no, a, a great summary, a great summary of what was a, 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 you know, a very satisfying opening weekend. Okay, so moving on from the Fulham game on the weekend, uh, on the Saturday we have West Ham United at home, which is, is a, as we've just alluded to, a really, really big game to, to kind of keep this momentum going. Uh, so, Andre, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on how you're feeling sort of ahead of that game. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, I think with, with West Ham, they are in a bit of a disarray. I, I always look at a season and I think so much comes down to when you play teams as well. So often we've been burned because we've gone to, say, Everton. I remember when we lost 3-0 there and they were on absolute many seasons ago. Uh, They were on a complete hot streak and you fancied them more than us. So when we went to Wolves uh, two seasons ago now. um, But the the opposite can happen as well. You can play teams and it is just the right time to play them. And it does feel like that a little bit with West Ham, with their protest, with what their captain is saying. Um, I, I really think that at the minute, with having a week to prepare, the way Arteta is preparing his team is very exciting. Um, I fancy us to, to to produce a similar performance. You know, I think, as you said, playing well from minute one to ninety was excellent. I don't think we're going to be a team that creates chance after chance after chance. I think we're going to be a bit more controlling in our style and happy to pick and choose our moments um, and sort of. Uh, to not go down the XG route, but I do really feel like we're trying to create chances of the highest quality. Um, so confident, but that can all change when they uh, annihilate, I believe it's Burton Albion in the cup. I think it's Charlton, actually. You're right. It's a London derby in Charlton. Uh, so I, I I kind of agree with everything you said, that uh, I, I'm feeling remarkably confident going into that game. I'm sure... Uh, Saturday morning, I'll feel totally different, and the nerves will start to start creeping in. But I am feeling confident about it, and I'm I'm genuinely really really looking forward to the weekend just just for that game. Um, so it'll be really nice to to do that, and sort of in keeping with with this whole lockdown with us not being able to go. I've been watching all of the games with my dad, and that's been something that I've not been able to do much in the recent past because I've been going to the games either with you or on my own or or whatever, and. It's nice to have that those moments with my dad just to just to share those experiences. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, with the game itself, uh, I, I, I in my head I'm thinking if we can produce something similar, come out with a two or a three nil win, another clean sheet, then that sets us up really really nicely going into the game at Anfield. So fingers crossed we can do that. But as you say, I think it's a really good time to be playing West Ham. Regardless of what they do tonight, I think it's a good time to play them. Their fans are not happy. Uh, there's a, a lot of turmoil going on within the club. And it just it just feels like they are rudderless at the moment. And that's obviously a feeling that we've been familiar with in the past. Mm. 
and as a club they don't seem to have any direction whatsoever whether it's in the transfer market whether it's tactically whether it's uh with their stadium or 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 the, the relationship between the board and their fans there just doesn't seem to be anything there it's quite a sorry it's quite uh it's quite a you know I think we're quite open-minded about other clubs. It's quite a sorry tale. I mean, if you've ever been to the London Stadium in the away end, um, well, of course, the home end, if you like, you'll know how dour the experience is. You don't want to go for a shopping centre to go and watch a club. Um, and I, I sort of have a bit of a soft spot for West Ham, um, mainly because I, I think... Uh, Friends growing up supported them. I, I mean, I felt that until I went to Upton Park away for the first time and I feared for my life. Um, and when they got Andy Carroll, who I absolutely hate, a uh, big giant horse. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate him. And I hated it when he got a hat-trick against us. Sorry. Oh, that was awful. That I, was awful. Do you know what? I, I've got to tell you, I was in the away end and I was stood on a, a chair. Uh, I was in, with you. Oh, yes. I was, I was making horse gestures towards the West Ham fans <laughs> about Andy Carroll. And it was one of those where um, I, I can't stop myself with the uh, in the away end. I don't know, because I feel like no one will recognise me on the way out. I get very I get very brave, far too brave. If anyone confronted yeah. me, I'd run an absolute mile. And I'm not afraid <laughs> to admit that. Um, but I remember like giving them the big one. And when he scored the hat-trick goal, I think one of them was overhead kick. You just look forward at the pitch, like cross your arms, be like, I'm not looking to my right or left. I'm not looking anywhere but straight at this pitch and I'm not engaging. And you can just, you can feel them looking at you, making horse gesture noises. I could, I could, oh, God, I miss away days. Um, <laughs> but anyway, sorry, soft spot West Ham. It is, it is such a sorry state of affairs. And I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't love that. I don't love that that's happening to them, but... For the purposes of Arsenal, let's hope we can really capitalise uh, on Saturday. Yeah, really nice summary. And I think uh, their their situation is probably something that football fans in general can can really sort of associate, particularly ones that go so often like we do. The experience at, at the London Stadium is, is, is soulless. It's really, really uh, a far cry from the away days at Upton Park and... It, 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 I feel sorry for them because it just completely changes the dynamic of being a football supporter. And to their credit, they keep going, they keep being passionate, they keep trying to support their team, but you can see why they're unhappy about the whole situation. I think the only other thing that we said we'd discuss is potentially the outgoings uh, that might happen in the not-too-distant future at Arsenal. Now, lots of uh, links have been made between people, but I think the, the players that are arguably closest to the exit uh Exit door are Emmy Martinez, which we believe is going to join Aston Villa imminently, and also Lucas Torreira, who I believe is supposed to be close to joining Torino in uh, Serie A. So both of those signings, uh, both of those potential exits, I'm I think I'm okay with. You texted me the other day to ask me about my feelings about Emmy Martinez, and it is one that I'm sad about. But the fact we're getting near to twenty million pounds for what is essentially our backup goalkeeper uh, is to me I, that's that's probably a bit of business that Arsenal can't turn down. And with Bert Leno being our number one, I'm more than happy to have him as my number one, providing we bring in someone to be his understudy. Yeah, runner Runnerson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously Runnerson, which we we know loads about. Um, <laughs> He's Icelandic. I'm excited. That's all there is to it. <laughs> you would think Runner Runnerson is an outfield player. Um, <laughs> just what, to because say. He, would you expect him to be called goalkeeper goalkeeperson if he well, was like a Hans, ha- Hans Handerson. I mean, that would be that would be a more sensible name. His um, parents didn't think this through, did they? <laughs> he really, really didn't. I'll have a word with them when they get over to the Emirates. Um, no, I think um, I'm really sad about the whole Martinez situation because he finally made it, and it's cruel. It is so cruel that he's not now going to be our number one. Uh, you know, as I've said, I think it's for the right reasons. And I'm I'm really pleased we've been this ruthless about it. But I'm not happy about how or why or who, because he performed so, so well at the back end of last season. You know, you could argue, not that he made necessarily a save that meant this, 
but you could argue that he helped such an integral part of us winning the cup. Um, and it's so sad that he's going, but you just can't turn down that kind of money in this market for your backup goalie when you desperately need a central midfielder that is of a calibre that could change things for your club instantly. There is no question about the right thing to do, and I'm delighted that we're doing it. I just hate how it's happening for Martinez. Um, and on Lucas Torreira, um, you know, it, it's it's a shame. I just, I, I'm so sure we're pushing for an upfront fee so we can use that. Uh, use that money but he was he's he's um you know I think he'll probably perform brilliantly in Serie A um, I just can't see him being a Premier League player and uh, you know at least we had that moment uh, against against Tottenham I think that's all I've got to say about uh, about Lucas yeah sad one for Lucas Torreira because he did look like he was going to be uh, a really fantastic player for us but unfortunately it just hasn't quite worked out and I think that's the cruel reality of uh, signing professional footballers is that sometimes there's a match and sometimes there isn't. And unfortunately, in this case, it doesn't quite work. (laughs) So disappointing. But if we can use that money well to try and get a a good central midfield player in um, that suits our system, then I think that's, again, absolutely the right thing to do. And And the sort of money that's been touted about uh, I don't think there's a, a realistic chance that we could have got any more. So maybe we're seeing a bit of a shift in Arsenal actually capitalising on players that are leaving for, for the right sort of money. Mm, mm. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Um, you know, I looked at uh, uh, the other rumour was, I suppose, about Kolasinac, which I don't think we need to discuss. I know we have in the past about how much uh, we'd like him to go. and And just to get that kind of money off the wage bill, and again, to allow us to reinvest it in other areas is just it's, it really is so important. Um, but I don't think we'll see the outgoings we expect until probably the last week of the window, because I think we're going with quite a hard line of this is the price. This is what you will pay if you want this player. And some clubs are going, OK, we'll have that. And there are others that we might go Look, if we haven't shifted them by X date, then we'll take a slight hit. Um, and I think that's what we're trying. And it's, of course, the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's that's absolutely right. So fingers crossed that we manage to get a few out the door. I'm sure we will. And hopefully uh, our business isn't concluded yet and we can bring a few more in. Um, it, at least one more is required in midfield for me. And obviously the goalkeeping situation, hopefully that gets resolved fairly quickly as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as well, If it, when we were linked with um, David Raya of Brentford for £8 million, um, I was really concerned that we were going to, you know, get in 20 and spend eight. And then, you know, the the, the Runnison chap at 1.5, as it's rumoured, that's much more like it. I've seen people getting really annoyed about that potential signing. And it's just like, what do you want from a reserve goalkeeper? Now, chances are any important game, whether it's Europe or whether it's domestic, I would expect Bernd Leno to play in. And... That's what you're getting. You're paying that that sort of price because you want someone who is an okay goalkeeper who can come in and do a job for a couple of games if they need if need be, but you aren't relying on them to be your first choice goalkeeper. So I find it shocking that people are so up in arms about that as a potential signing. It's just like, well, we're trying to save money so that we can buy elsewhere in a normal climate with without our wage bill. You could probably justify selling a goalkeeper for twenty and signing another one for eight million. But right now, when we're trying so hard to generate funds to get a midfielder in, we, we can't justify that. So to get someone for one and a half million makes perfect sense. Right, so moving on to our final segment of our podcast. And we are going to look at three goals from a season gone by in the last 30 years. What we do is we pick a shirt from uh, years gone by and we each select our three goals based on that shirt. So this week it is the 2015-16 away shirt, which was a really, really nice uh, gold and blue away shirt, which was one of the few Puma shirts that I actually genuinely liked. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what we come up with. Uh, just based on what goals I've got written down, I'm going to go first. 
because my first goal was actually the first goal that we scored in the 2015-16 season um, outside of the Community Shield because we went into the game against West Ham on the opening day of the season really, really optimistic. I think both me and Andre predicted that we'd win 3 or 4-0 and we ended up losing 2-0. And it wasn't that until we went to... sound very familiar, Tom. It, it, it could, it could, it could. Um, but we went to Crystal Palace away the next week and I think we were both quite sceptical about what could happen. And within the, uh, the first 15 minutes, Meza Ozil crosses the ball for Olivier Giroud and Giroud scored a bicycle kick to put Arsenal 1-0 up. And it was just the perfect start to our away travels that season because I know obviously you and I went to a lot of away games that year and it was uh, particularly joyous because obviously Selhurst Park, for those that haven't been there, in general you don't get the best of views if you're outside the front, the front sort of 10 rows and it's very difficult to, to, to watch a game of football. So for some reason, whenever I go there, I feel like I uh, I have to celebrate a lot more than I probably should for a goal against them just because they have given me such a rubbish view. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that was that was pretty electrifying. And uh, we didn't play that well either. Uh, I think uh, Sanchez's um, uh, what, what tenacity um, uh, snuck us an own goal to win it. But that was a real moment of quality. And it was a real sort of Giroud produced that didn't he? Uh, and we, we love that about him, that he could produce really spectacular moments. And that, that certainly that certainly was one. It really was. It uh, really was. Um, OK, Andre, would you like to tell us about your first goal? Yes, for sure. Uh, and you mentioned there that uh, we went to many away games together. But um, the best one, uh, of course, you didn't attend, which was uh, Leicester away. Uh, now, for those of you who have a uh, brilliant memory or are able to quickly differentiate seasons, you'll know that this was the year Leicester won the title and we took six points off of them and still conspired to not win it. Um, but the goal I'm going to talk about was uh, Alexis Sanchez um, for his hat-trick goal in the last few moments. So it was a, a really excellent open game. And actually, I think Leicester took a lot from it that they just can't play like that for the season. And they transformed into the side they did because we hit them for five. Oh, you can't hit them for five. Um, no, you can't hit someone for five. It's four or six. Um, we produced a five-star performance. There you go. That's the cliche. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm so not hitting that. That's staying in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sanchez was at his brilliant best. So uh, uh, he's just he'd scored a header off a, a brilliant Meza Özil ball um, for his second goal, but it's the third one. Uh, we get a throw in late on. He spins it with the outside of his foot around uh, N'Golo Kante, who, of course, went on to have a, a phenomenal season. And he bends it into the corner for his hat-trick goal. The sun was out. Uh, Arsenal fans were singing. It was such a great feeling. Um, it was one of my... Honestly, I, I know I wind you up about this, but it really was. We haven't scored five away from home in a long time since. I don't know how long. Maybe a significantly long time but this was in a Premier League fixture against a really good side and you know people saying oh I'm not sure whether Arsenal go there and win uh, we went there and absolutely creamed them 5-2 um, just a brilliant performance but a, a stunning goal and Sanchez was was just capable of that so yeah that would that came to mind almost immediately yeah heartbreak I didn't didn't make that that game uh, because of my foolish decision to go and watch the Rugby World Cup which I will never make a decision of that ineptitude ever again. <laughs> well, don't, don't, because uh, you know it's um, it, it costs you. You know you got punished actually. Uh, out uh, too cruel actually. That was a, a really harsh result to miss. <laughs> it was, and you will never ever let me live that one down, and <laughs> no, rightly so, and rightly so. <laughs> nice. What's uh, what's goal number two for you? So goal number two for me is. Probably one of my favourite away days for a totally different reason than, than what you've just highlighted as, as the Leicester game. And it was from a 3-0 win away at Swansea. And it was the third and final goal of that game, which was scored by none other than Joel Campbell. Now, the reason why this is one of my favourites is because 
Firstly, I know that you wanted to have this in your list because it was such a fantastic day out. And secondly, because the entire journey down to Wales, we were joking about Joel Campbell and about how we were hoping he was going to score and how we were going to try and start songs about Joel Campbell. And the the, the, the day obviously couldn't have gone any better. And my abiding memory of that moment was as Meza Ozil lashes the ball across the box and it falls to the feet of Joel Campbell, me and you, rather than looking at the goal, just look at each other and shout, Joel! <laughs> and as it, as we do that, he rifles the ball into the back of the net and Arsenal 3-0 up and we probably celebrated that goal far, far more than the previous two. Do you know what that was? That uh, and and of course, you know our um, extensively massive fan base will want to know what the songs were, um, and that there was two. Uh, <laughs> one was Swansea themed, which is extremely niche. Um, but we tried getting going. Joel, 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 he's magic. You know he's gonna score us a goal. Uh, it did not catch on. Um, but actually, the looks we got, yeah, the, the looks, looks we got. But to be fair, when he scored, <laughs> a few more people did join in. Um, but yeah. we, it was honestly four and a half hours. He came up probably every 10 minutes. Like, do you think Joel will score? Because we knew, I, I can't remember why, I think we had an injury crisis. We knew he was going to start. And when he scored that, it was just, oh, magic. It really was every 10 minutes. What about Joel Campbell? <laughs> If only, if only he kicked on in his Arsenal career after that moment. Um, wow. But what could have been? What could have been? A poor Costa Rican. Um, okay, so my, my goal too is um, an away day uh, that was really pleasant, actually. It was uh, away to Everton and it was Alex Iwobi's first goal. Uh, we scored a really lovely um, first in this Welbeck. It was a really nice move with Welbeck, Sanchez and Ozil combining. Um, this came from Bellerin hitting it over the top. Iwobi running onto it with pace and uh, sliding it under the goalie. Uh, an unerring finish to make it 2-0. Um, Goodison Park is a great away day. I was uh, in the upper tier for this one. It's really old school ground. I always like going to Everton. Um, but it was... What I always try and do with some of these goals is go back to how I felt at the time because you have a lot more evidence now and Iwobi ironically plays at Everton. Um, but he was number 45 and he did this sort of celebration with 4-5 and then some sort of shooting. Um, and I really admired his confidence and that finishing was... It was such a confident finish and it was a player coming out of our academy and it was just such an exciting time that this player had come in, seamlessly fitted in. He played on the right wing. The way he took that goal... Um, I mean, it was completely a misrepresentation of what he'd go on to do because he, he became quite the opposite where he did everything else well except the end product. Uh, but I remember that day having your academy player score, a difficult away day, uh, fantastic. Um, and yeah, I know at the time I was uh, so excited about uh, about Mr. Iwobi. Yeah, same. I was really, really optimi optimistic about him. And when he had that breakthrough season where, where he started to get those first team opportunities, it really looked like we we had unearthed a really, really special player. And it's really unfortunate that he hasn't gone on to have the career that we, we had hoped, but still absolutely incredible that we were able to get £40 million from everything for him. <laughs> well, that probably uh, on the basis of that goal, you know. Yeah, they thought, wow, that's a player. And probably never watched him again after that. But um, yeah, but but he had so much potential as a footballer. And it was just that end product, which, like you put so well, is that he did demonstrate that early on in his Arsenal career that he did have an end product. And unfortunately, just couldn't quite create that on a consistent basis. Right, so my third and final goal is it's probably a goal that didn't really count for an awful lot because the season was kind of uh, sort of like filtering towards a really uneventful end for Arsenal. And it was actually the equaliser by Alexis Sanchez at um, Manchester City in a 2-2 draw. And the reason why I, I really like love this goal is because 
of the goal itself. There's there's a lot of goals that I like because of where I was and how I felt, like you said, in the last goal or the player it was or the commentary. And it was nothing to do with that. It was just simply a really, really well-worked goal. And it was Alexis Sanchez picking the ball up, pinging the ball into the feet of uh, Olivier Giroud, who bounced the pass back to him. And it just opened the game up completely. And he... Um, just notched it into the bottom left-hand corner. And it's just a goal that looked so brilliant because it, it's so simple, but done so effectively that it looks remarkably impressive. So that was a goal that I, I absolutely love to, to go back and watch again uh, whenever I can, because I think it just summarised everything that, that was good about Alexis Sanchez. Mm. Did you Did you go to that one? I didn't. I think it was a game that me and you initially were going to go to, and I think we might have sold the tickets uh, based on the fact that the game essentially was fairly meaningless at that point. I, I think I remember that correctly. Yeah, yeah. So there's some grounds that are really great to be at. Um, the Etihad isn't one of them, to be honest, but there's some grounds that look amazing on the TP, and the Etihad is one of those, yes. particularly when a goal is scored in front of the away fans. Um, I could pick out the Koscielny, uh late equaliser. Oh, the limbs, the limbs. Yeah, uh, and this one had a similar effect. I think it's because Man City were expected to completely turn us over. I mean, they scored and we hit back within a minute or two, really unexpectedly. Um, they sort of started like a house on fire, took an early lead, we've equalised. Then they've gone back in front and you sort of thought, it just felt so indicative of the time that we'd crumble. And that showed a sort of resolve towards the end of the season that, that, you know, again, gives you false hope. Um, But it was a really stunning finish and it was really ruthless. uh, And goals like that are really exciting to be at. And there was pretty good limage there as well. Um, I really hate that I'm going to do this because my third goal um, is actually to encapsulate this season. And... It was a fairly average finish from Meza Ozil uh, into the ground, goes past De Gea, uh, away at Old Trafford. Notably for Louis van Gaal doing a stupid flop on the floor when Sanchez went over. Um, I'm pretty sure a player called Donald Love played for Manchester United that day. Just think I'm, about I'm that pretty sure he did. Donald Love. We lost to a team with someone who's got a player debuting called Donald Love. I mean... They had several players out. The reason he came on is because he had to. And they, I think, had three reserve players. It was the emergence of Marcus Rashford. He'd scored two uh, in the Europa League. And I don't know why I know this. I'm pretty sure it was against uh, FC Midland of Chris Olsen fame. There you go. Um, <laughs> he scored a brace there. And then he scored a brace against us in a sh- and a Herrera deflected e- effort uh, as well. And we pulled one back with Welbeck. And then we pulled this goal back with Ozil. And I, I think it, when I was looking, it was... In- around the 70th minute, we had 20 minutes to press home against an incredibly inexperienced Manchester United and we absolutely bottled it. And that season, we completely bottled it and this was one of the games that did it. And you can probably tell from my tone, the fury comes quickly back because there is no way Leicester City should ever have won the Premier League this season. We were a superior side to them. We just didn't have, we didn't have it in our minds. And I think this is really when we knew it was over for for Wenger as well in terms of winning a title. Because if you couldn't win it this season, all the top teams underperformed. And one of the most underperforming teams was Manchester United. And we just had to go there and show our experience and class. I I, I believe uh, in the first couple of minutes, um, I don't know whether it was, it wasn't Twenzebe, it was, um, it might have been Blackett. I can't remember. Yeah. It, it got booked after about five minutes for going through the back of Sanchez. And every manager, sorry, every player who's ever played at fullback or played on the wing, when you know you've got your man, run at him. Just run at him time and time again. And we played without that intelligence to just attack that, get him down to 10 men, absolutely crucify them, get the win, go home with three points. And we were so incapable of doing that. Uh, and this goal, and the fact Ozil scored it when he so rarely scored a big goal away from home, uh, you know, you thought, right, that's the turning point. We've pulled it back to within a goal, and here we go. We'll turn this around, win 4-3, and it will set us on our way. And we just, I, we probably barely had a shot on target after that. Yeah, really, really frustrating day. And uh, I think you summarised it 
pretty well and summarised that entire season pretty well because it was uh, a really, really insipid end to what should have been a really, really glorious one for us. Um, so, <laughs> what a positive note to end the podcast on. <laughs> we, didn't th- we didn't think the ordering through, did we? <laughs> no, I should have done that first. Anyway, never mind. Look, I think, you know, there's no harm in us being a bit dampened because, uh, you know, the Arsenal... The Arsenal are, are, are making us believe again, and yeah. So we need to we need to be brought, we did say we need to be brought back down to earth. There you and go. Uh, Andre, you've done that spectacularly. <laughs> uh, thank you. I I you know it's what it's what I'm around for. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. Uh, Andre, thank you very much for your time as always. Oh, thank you, Mister Dow. Obama, yeah. <laughs> Obama, yeah. <laughs> Um, he yeah, needs a really, better chant, doesn't he? he? He does. I think we should uh, focus our minds on uh, bringing a better chant to the uh, the Boys in Red and White podcast. So we'll okay. uh, we'll work on that for the next episode. Suggestions um, welcomed for next week. Suggestions are welcome from all our many fans. Um, anyway, if you would like to find us on social media, we have a Facebook, Twitter and Instagram page, which you can find by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Thank you for listening as always, and we'll be back with another podcast very soon. 